Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our text today. Today we'll be in Acts chapter 22. Jesus, I thank you that um, uh, your body, Lord, is, is, is alive, Lord, that it's alive with your spirit, Lord, that it's not alive with our own you know, doings, like, God, you come in and you sift things, Lord, and you make things appropriate, and uh, just pray, Lord, that you would have your way today, that you would pour your spirit out upon us, that you would teach us from your word, Lord, that anything that's not of you, God, you would just take that away, Lord, that you would remove anything that the enemy be, may be placing upon any of our lives, Lord, um, that you would just uh, bring healing, Father, to those who need a touch from you today, Lord. I know family and friends that that need a touch from you, Lord, for healing. Um, we just lift up your body as a whole, God, that you would just pour your spirit out upon it, Lord, that you would raise up, Lord, uh, just, you would pour out just uh, a, 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 a supernatural anointing of faith upon your body, Lord, and trust in you. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that it never turns back void. And just praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 22, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. I know last week we kind of left off hanging there um, with Paul about to address the Jews that were wanting to kill him. So we'll pick up in Acts 22 verse 1. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 40, just to kind of give context, because it kind of leads in together. When the Bible was written, there weren't verses, there weren't chapters and verses. And so um, that's an iteration that occurred throughout time, actually for us to be able to uh, reference and study easier. Um, but so uh, I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 21, verse 41. So when he had given him permission, and this was um, the Roman guards, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent than he said. So, uh, we see from verse uh, 41 of 21 through uh, chapter 22, verse 2, Paul had motioned his hands and he started speaking to them in Hebrew. Um, and because he spoke to them in Hebrew, which is native language, they were even more attentive to him. So he caught their attention. Paul was cool like that. He, he would speak to people in their language or um, God allowed him to have insight into things in their life and he would use it to his advantage to share Christ with them. And, and we see again him doing this, bringing attention to uh, what he wants to say next. And verse three, it says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. And so Gamaliel was a well-known Jewish teacher, and we see that Paul was taught in Tarsus, uh, that he was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and that he was taught um, by this well-known Jewish teacher. So he's, he's giving them kind of his credentials of who he was to these Jews. Verse 4, I persecuted this way 
to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul speaks of how zealous he was towards God. Um, he, Paul at the time, he thought that he was bringing the kingdom of God through what he knew as a, as a, as a, a Pharisee, um, that uh, he thought he was bringing God's plan to earth. Um, at that time in Paul's life, that's what he was doing. Uh, he was doing what God, he thought he was doing what God would have wanted him to have happened through him by getting rid of all of the followers of the way. And this word, the way, referred to those that followed in the way of Jesus Christ. See, one can be zealous for what he thinks is God's ways, and yet in the end, not God's ways whatsoever. And we see that if you look at Paul's life, he was on a journey in his life prior to meeting Jesus to do what he thought um, was according to the law of God, and he was totally not following what the Lord wanted him to do. Saul's testimony would have been agreeable to the Jewish crowd at this time, the people that he's speaking to. Um, but now we see as he speaks of this encounter with Jesus Christ, they may be a little less agreeable. So verse six, we pick it up. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. So we see this light that uh, shone. It was so bright that it was brighter than the noon sun. You guys ever been out during high noon and it's bright and yet a lot of us wear sunglasses and stuff. And so this light that came upon them was so bright that it overshined the sun. It's pretty amazing what happened on this, this famous road to Damascus. And we know that Paul on his way to Damascus, he was, he was on his way to kill Christians. That was his thing. He was, and, and the Lord met him in the middle of this journey. And how is that with our lives when we're even on the way to do something drastic in our life and the Lord meets us in that path? He's so faithful to meet us where we need to be met in our lives. And I love this. Jesus asking me, he says, uh, and, and I want you to, I want to ask you this question, you know, who, who was Saul persecuting? Saul thought he was persecuting the believers in Jesus Christ. But we see here that Jesus states to him that he was persecuting himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you're persecuting me. I love that, that Jesus is our advocate. He stands between us and our adversaries, that he is the protector of our life. Jesus took it personally. He takes it personal in our lives when things happen. See, Jesus Christ is our shield. He's our strength. He's the one that stands against the enemies of the church. Psalms 18, verse 1 through 3 says this, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, 
so shall I be saved from my enemies. I love that. This, 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 this section of Psalms, you know, you go through Psalms and there's these, these pieces that stand out. And the psalmist is saying, I will love you, Lord, my strength. So he's placing, you know, a lot of times in our life as human beings, we place strength in ourselves, our own doing, our own abilities. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, you're my strength and I love you. And then he goes on and says that you're my rock. And, and, and a rock is, is something very strong and sturdy. And a fortress is something that you can hide in and be protected from the fiery darts of the enemy. And a deliverer is somebody who comes in and saves you from when you're drowning in life and, and in despair. And, and then the psalmist goes on and says that, my God, he proclaims us, he's that, again, that he's my strength. And I love that it says, in whom I will trust. And I'm convicted there, do I trust the Lord enough with my life? And do I trust the Lord to be my strength? Do I trust the Lord to be my deliverer? Do I trust the Lord to be my fortress? Do I trust the Lord to be my rock in such a way that it changes my thinking and my attitude and my actions? See, we can read the Bible and we can you know, place our life in the Lord's hands, but if we don't apply it to our life and, and, and throw up our hands and say, God, I need you, then what good is the Bible in our life? It has to be applied. And the psalmist who wrote this knew that his life was nothing without God. And I ask you today, have we come to ourselves to a place to where the Lord is greater than ourselves? We need to come to the end of ourself so that God is greater than ourselves. It's so important. That's how I feel today with this thing going on with my body. Like, you know, you go to doctors and you, and, and, and you want, even as I stand here, my, my body feels weird, I'm telling you honestly. And, and I'm trusting the Lord that everything inside of me is fine. God, God can handle what's going on in my life, you know? I'm called to, to share the truth of the word of God. You know, even if we have fears and anxieties and all these different things, if my God who saves me from hell and takes me to heaven, if he can't hold my body together and take care of things in my body, then what type of God is he? Is he only applied to my imagination? Well, then he would be a false God and very limited. And we have to be careful that we don't take the word of God and apply it through the finiteness of our own thinking because God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're greater than our own thinking. They're greater than anything we will ever experience in our life. And, and for me lately, I just, I'm just, the Lord, I just need to apply this and share this with you guys to be transparent that it's so difficult when we go through things to trust God, where the sinews, the, the finite pieces of our thinking and our being are tested. And I was talking with with my dad. He's my confidant. He led me to the Lord when I was five. And he says, Brian, this is about you trusting God with your life. And I'm like, I'm, a, I'm in ministry. I'm, my life is giving over. Like my children take notes when the Bible is being taught. I mean, what, how am I not trusting the Lord with my life? And I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe there is something going on with my body physically, but even in the midst of that, we need to trust the Lord when we have those difficulties in our life. And so many people nowadays need that. They need to hear that. And Paul trusted the Lord with his life. I, I want you to think about this for a second. These people that Paul is speaking to, and I said this last week, these people that Paul is speaking to were, were literally wanting to kill him, beating him up to where the Roman guards had to save him out of this situation. And what does he do? He, he tells the Roman guards that he wants to speak to those that are trying to kill him. The Lord was Paul's strength. 
The Lord was Paul's rock. The Lord was Paul's fortress. The Lord was Paul's deliverer. God was Paul's strength. And we see that in his example here and how he acted. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 22. And he continues, Paul continues to speak about his, his testimony of what went on in his life. This journey to Damascus, and I pick it back up in that, in, that, in that scene there, and he says, Paul's speaking to these Jewish people, and he's standing on the steps, and think about this great crowd. And those who were with me, continues to say about this testimony, when the Lord showed up, and those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? I love that. Paul, whenever the Lord meets us, we need to come to a place of saying, God, what do I need to do? A lot of times the Lord is just waiting for us to ask that question. What do I need to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? So Paul says that, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. I love that. There's nothing that God hides from us when he really is speaking to us and wants to direct us. He's not some magician that's behind a curtain, kind of like the office is and the drum set is back here hiding, making things happen. He's, he's very forthright and he wants us to know his will for our life and his will for our life is for our lives to glorify him. So I love that. Paul asks him, what do I do? And Jesus himself is speaking to him. Arise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. Verse 11, and since I could not see, so Paul's continuing his state, since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. So he was blinded because of the glory of the Lord was so great. And it's amazing how you, I, I want you to really grasp this for a second. Paul, if you look at his, his credentials as a, as, as, as a Jewish uh, teacher, he, he, he was extremely well taught. He would have had master degrees in it. And, 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 if you, and, and, and if you go in and you, the verses we read where he actually got credentials from the Jewish church at the time to go persecute. So he had everything in place to accomplish his worldly goal. All of his pride, all of his knowledge, all of his own well-doing, thinking that what he was doing was what God wanted him to do. And where did he end up? He ended up blind and needing somebody to hold his hand to direct him. A lot of times in our lives, maybe we need to come to a place where we actually ask somebody to hold our hand, where we, where we reach out for help, where we say, I need your help. Help me. My kids do that. They ask for help all the time for things. They come to Gina or I for help, whether it's in the restroom or tying shoes or finding clothes or, 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 or helping them you know, figure out a dispute between each other. They're always asking us to help them. And what an example of our children you know, pertaining to that, that we need to be that open with God, asking God for help in every area of our lives as a loving father he is for us. And so Jesus himself, this was, a, this, was a, uh, an, this was Jesus Christ showing up in Paul's life. This wasn't an angel. This wasn't some apparition. This was Jesus himself that, that showed up, physically manifested to, it, it, with Paul there, um, caused the blindness to happen to him. The light was so great. The men that were with him, 
uh, saw the light, uh, but they couldn't hear, you know, what was going on. So we see this amazing situation. Now we have humbled Paul being led to Damascus. Verse 12, then a certain, and, he, and again, I want keep in context, he's speaking this to this Jewish crowd that wanted to kill him. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Think about what he's telling Paul. Think about how good of a word that is. Could you imagine Paul's uh, uh, confusion maybe? Or, I mean, we don't, I don't want to embellish a whole lot on that, but I, I could imagine if I was Paul and the Lord showed up like that and I was blinded and I was held by my hand to go to, to this place and then this gentleman comes up and says these things to me and they would have been like sweet morsels to me. Because some people interpret when the Lord shows up and, and allows things to happen that it's drastic and God's wrath and, 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 and he's wanting to hurt them and, 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 and destroy their life and all sorts of things. But I think that's a misconception of God because God's wrath isn't set aside for his people. And when the Lord calls us into ministry or calls us to step out of a past life that wasn't glorifying for him, he leads us in love and compassion and direction. That's God's character towards us as human beings. And so we see here that God's speaking through Ananias and he's t Ananias is telling him that the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will. I love that, that you should know his will. Man, I wanna know the will of God in my life all the time. Lord, what's your will? We need to be in his word. We need to be willing to let him minister to us and show us and take care of us in these areas. We need to let him lead us by our hand. And sometimes we need to let other Christians hold our hand and pray over us. Verse 15, this is amazing. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Isn't that amazing? God took a murderer of Christians and turned him into a martyr a diehard person who was sold out no matter what to share the truth of Jesus, to share his testimony of what God had done in his life. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying. He's sharing his testimony to this crowd. Continue on in verse 16. And now, why are you waiting? I love this. Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it's important to know that baptism doesn't save us. Okay. Faith in Jesus Christ alone, our decision to believe that Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. When we confess our sins, we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. A sinner is just, I've missed the mark. I'm not perfect. I've done things in my life that aren't right. And you say, Lord, I need you to save me. Will you come in and enter my life? And then there's an outward expression of being baptized. And so, Ananias said, okay, what are you waiting for? Let's get this over with, man. God has a calling on your life. Don't hesitate. Get saved. 
Get baptized, making a public proclamation of your decision to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. It's time to get to work. It's pretty much what Ananias and Paul, it's pretty much what happened to, to Paul here with Ananias. I love this, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, and I've, I've shared this a lot from this, this pulpit. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I want you to guys close your eyes for a second, and I want you to listen to these words. And I want you to receive this because I need to receive this too because this is who we are as Christians. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. It's, it's fabulous here in this section of 1 Peter chapter 2 where um, who we are in Christ is spoken of here. That we, are a cho- that we are chosen by God, that we are a royal priesthood because of Christ's blood that was shed on the cross, that we are a holy nation. We're, we are holy. That word holy means set apart. We're set apart, and I love this, his own special people. So think about that. You think of someone who's special in your life. This is how God thinks of you. And and then there's a purpose behind it. It's not to sit on a stool and just, "Uh, I'm doing nothing. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. What's on Facebook? I mean, that's, that's not what this is about in our lives. And I'm preaching to myself, and you guys are like, Brian, you keep saying this over and over and over and over from the pulpit about sharing and, you know, preaching and, and being willing to, to talk to others. I'm like, well, that's kind of the theme of Acts. It really is. Wait till we get into another book of the Bible. You're like, why are you saying those things about me? I'm not saying anything about you. God's word brings conviction sometimes. But anyway, so I love this. In this other part of verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't it amazing? And Paul's painting this contrast too of who he was, his credentials, who he was, what he was doing pertaining to you know, persecuting the church. And then he goes and he starts sharing about his experience with Christ coming into his life and then him giving his life over to the Lord through, 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 through confessing his sins and then his baptism for public proclamation. And so isn't it amazing? In our lives, it's important that we never forget our chains, that we never forget where God took us from. That we never forget, I mean, I was sharing this with Elisha the other day about my past being a ridiculous drug and alcohol addicted person. And he's just like, laughed, like, like dumbfounded, like, really? That's, you're kidding. And, and, and I don't talk about it a lot, not being 48, and it was 25 plus years ago. And, you know, you kind of get this, this disconnect from what God has changed you out of. And then it turns into, you know, emotional and mental things that God wants to change. Those are the harder ones, I think. But don't ever forget the chains that God has set you free from. And so Paul is, again, he's sharing this testimony. It's amazing. And, and for us, the Lord has set us aside so that we could proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light back in 1 Peter. It's amazing. I love that. Write that scripture down, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. It's a great reminder of who you are, what you are, and what God has called you to be. 
Back in Acts chapter 22, verse 17, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. So, so now Paul's in the temple um, in Damascus and he's, and, and he's still sharing with this testimony, this Jewish crowd that wanted to get rid of him. And he's talking about how he gets in this trance. And so if you go back to the earlier part of Acts when, when this all occurred, read it again, it's great. And, and, and he goes and he says, and I saw him saying to me, Jesus, okay, shows up while he's praying, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So in other words, he's saying, hey, the Jews aren't going to receive you at all. That's what Jesus was telling him. Get out of here. They're not going to receive you. So I said, Lord, they, they know that in every synagogue I, I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. So now Paul's talking with Jesus, and he's sharing this with the Jewish crowd about this dialogue that he had with him. And he said, I went to every synagogue. I, I, I beat all of them. I, I actually went into those places and, and took those who were believers out. Everyone who believed on you. And yet, where, in other words, he's saying, where can I go, Lord? Do we ever feel like that in our own lives? Where can I go, Lord? Thank God he knows the roadmap of our life and what we need to be and where we need to be and how we need to be. Verse 20 of chapter 22 in Acts, and, he, and, and Paul continues and he says, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, this is so humbling, think about this, I was also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. It's amazing. Paul goes in, shares all these things that went on with him, that he was um, an accomplice, basically, that he oversaw the, the death of Stephen, who was a Christian. And they were tolerating this testimony, all of these things, until he stated that he was being sent by God to go minister to the Gentiles. There was such a schism between the, uh, the Jewish non-believers and the Gentiles that they just went mad after he said that about Gentiles. This drove them literally insane with jealousy and hatred, and they screamed out for Paul's death. They wanted him to die. Verse 23 then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. So this is the non-believing Jews. They, they're, they're now in a frenzy. So imagine hundreds and hundreds of people throwing dust in the air and them ripping their clothes off in, 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 a, in a statement of just di disgust. It was a thing that would have, they would do then when you, they were totally disgusted with something, they just ripped their clothes off, their, their tunic or what, whatever it was, their, their, their clothing so there was this, just this crazy display of, 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 of disgust towards Paul. Now we see the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. So again, the commander, they, they still have no idea what's going on. Now they bring him into the barracks and they're going to whip him. Back then, if you got caught by the Roman guards and they wanted to know what was going on to you, they'd bind you and tie you to a post and whip you until you said something. They, tor they would torture people to get information out of them. And so this is what's happening with Paul. This is the whipping of the back, again, to inflict pain on someone so that they would be forced to speak honestly about things. It was extremely brutal. 
It's called flogging. It was not anything nice. Verse 25, And so they bound him with thongs. Paul said to the centurion who stood by, so his hands were bound with leather. Um, remember the prophecy about him being bound? Um, prior chapter, so this is occurring again. Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? So again, Paul's utilizing his life and who he is to speak to the Roman commander. And when the centurion heard that, he went, I'm sorry, to the centurion, not the commander. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? Paul said, yes. The commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. So it was not uncommon for, uh, if you had the means financially, you could purchase your citizenship as a Roman. Um, the commander had purchased his citizenship and he's like, hey, I purchased mine. How in the world would you have been able to do that? And Paul, being born a Roman citizen, he did not need to purchase his citizenship. Also, it's important, um, okay, yeah, verse 29. Then immediately, those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. So it was unlawful, um, to wrongfully accuse a Roman citizen, let alone whip him. And they knew that. And so now they're freaking out. They're like, okay, well, who, who are you? Like, I mean, prior, you know, uh, they thought he was this Egyptian guy who led a revolt. And, and now, you know, the, 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 and, and he, they, they, they're trying to figure out who he is. And, and now the, 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 the non-believing Jews are still in an uproar. And this, it's just such a chaotic scene. And every moment, the Lord is just carrying Paul through this situation. Verse 30, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So the Romans still want to know what's going on because they oversaw this area and, you know, um, it was under Roman ruling and governing. And so they needed to find out what was going on. And so now, instead of beating Paul, and now they can't beat Paul because he was a Roman citizen and they don't want to do that. Now they bring Paul um, and the chief priests and they bring them together, okay, and all the council. And so we're going to read in Acts 23, and again, this is kind of just going to be a continuation. It's a long process that the Lord allows us to see of what went on with Paul pertaining to this situation in, in Jerusalem. And so we're going we're gonna to end there today. Um, the, the, the saga of Paul's trial <laughs> uh, still continues, and we'll pick it up next week, Lord willing. But I want to close with this. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17 says this. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? What is good is our relationship with Jesus, our life being sold out for Jesus Christ. That's what is good. 
Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And I'm thinking of Paul in this situation, and I think about this in our own life. And verse 15 is why this portion of Scripture came to mind relating to what was going on here and the title of this message about sharing our testimony, always sharing our testimony. Last week was preach the gospel no matter what. This week, folks, sharing our testimony no matter what. You can put that in there. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, make sure that the Lord is set aside, man. Spend time in worship. Sanctify, purify this relationship that we have. Make it a sure thing. And then I love this. This is the thing that stuck out to me. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revel your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, um, <clears throat> years ago, I was uh, sold jewelry. sold jewelry for about five years. And um, one of my coworkers was like, Brian, how come you're always happy? What, what's different about you? And, you know, when somebody says that to you, that's like an open door. Like, hey, you know, this is why. You know, this is why my life is different. And, and correlating with Acts chapter 22 here, and, and really this whole ending p between 21 and 22, Paul used his circumstances and situation to share about what God was doing, what Jesus did in his life, and who he was and what was going on with him. And so I want to leave you with this, you guys. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. I love that. It's not a hope that is upon us. It's not a hope that we make. It's not a hope in, okay, like these backpacks and stuff. Praise the Lord that God gave us an opportunity to do this, okay? But we're going to put a track in every one of these backpacks. And, you know, I, we don't know if, if, if anybody's going to read it or not. But, you know, um, somebody had, had, had provided, I reached out to a friend of mine and said, and I know that he loves uh, track ministry and stuff. And I said, hey, can you provide tracks? And so we have a bunch of tracks that are, that are kids' ages. And so we're able to, to do this, to, to, to share the love of Jesus through these backpacks. We don't want to just give things away or be, you know, a benevolence program. People need to know why the church exists. They need to know why we're here. We're here because we've been given this hope, and it's inside of us, and it needs to come out of us, honestly. And so I love that. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meekness. Meekness is a great word. It means great strength under great control. Great power under great control. Meekness. And, and also remember this too. 
that God doesn't need us to defend him. He defends himself. And what this is saying here is that it's a defense because if somebody comes up and in a defense, it's just, all it is is make, the, the word their defense means making a statement of, you know, like in a court case, you know, you're not, you, you, when, they, when you're, you're the defendant, you're, you're, you're giving a reason for what went on in your life pertaining to the court situation. So that's what this is meaning, for us to give a reason to people who ask. And even if somebody doesn't ask, but they need to know that the hope that we have is Jesus and that it's in us. And it's something that can't be taken away, you know. And Paul knew that. And so I just want to end with that just as an encouragement to always be ready in season and out of season. I love you, Nehemiah. Dear Lord, it's my son. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I don't always know how to end after sharing your word. Um, and I just pray, Lord, if there's anybody here today that needs a touch from you, I, I trust you, Holy Spirit, that you're working in people's lives and that you know how to minister to them. And Lord, I ask that if anybody needs prayer from any one of us here, that you know they wouldn't leave this place missing out. Maybe they need to be prayed over today. Um, Lord, I thank you that you're alive and that you're active and that your word's alive and active and that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It knows how to discern our thoughts and our intentions, and, and uh, I thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for <clears throat> the account of Paul's life. What a, a drastic change you drew him through, Lord. Thank you that all of us, Lord, that know you personally, that you have met us on our own personal road to Damascus, God. And Lord, I just pray that you would fill us up by the power of your Holy Spirit to be a generation, Lord, that is not in fear of sharing about you. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, as the world seems like it's crumbling down around us, God, locally and abroad. And man, I pray, God, that you would just fill us up with your hope, Lord. You would fill us up, God. Lord, that you would bring to remembrance scripture that we've memorized as kids or as adults, that you would take care of us, Lord. Provide financially, provide mentally, emotionally, spiritually. God, thank you so much for what you're doing, Lord, in our lives. Thank you that we're able to gather together here today under the banner of Jesus Christ. Lord, we just lift all of Hearst up to you. Lord, that you would radically change the landscape of this community. And if you want to use any of us, that'd be cool too, Lord. Thank you so much for each and every person here, for their families. Um, immediate and extended. And Lord, just lift everyone up to you, God, that you would just do a great work, Lord. Encourage us. Give us a sense of your presence in our life. Just thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you do and all that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen.